0: This is Dead Stick Radio, Episode 9, recorded Sunday, December 8th, 2019. Building a composite experimental aircraft from scratch. This episode is brought to you by AirRaceGear.com, the place to buy Air Race merchandise.
1: I'm Scott Holmes. I'm Brian Murray. And we have Trevor Howard here today to talk about the cozy he's finishing in the hangar next door. Right. Thanks for having me. So where should we start? Let's talk about the history of the COSY to start with, because uh, it probably came around before you started your project.
2: Definitely. Uh, so if you know about, well, I, maybe we just talk about the exactly what the COSY is. So the COSY is a uh, four-place, all-composite, uh, canard pusher aircraft, uh, a variation on the Rutan Long Easy. Right. So the horizontal tail's on the front for those non aviation folks. Yep. So that. Kinda of looks like it's flying backwards. Yeah. So the, 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 the short wing is on the front, and that's called a canard for a reason that no one seems to know. I think because it represents a a flock of geese in flight or something. Anyways. Um so the uh that that particular design was um favored by uh legendary designer Boot Rutan. Right. And with uh, the very easy and long easy, which are two place versions. Yeah, so so uh, Nat Puffer, who was a friend of Bert's, uh, he didn't like the... He liked the long easy, but uh, he wasn't too crazy about the tandem seating arrangement.
1: Right, because so that's one seat in front of the other. The pilot sits in the front. Yeah, and your passenger sits behind. Right, where you can't see them and... Right, so, uh,
2: so Nat liked to travel with his wife. So he thought, I would like to have this plane, but in a side-by-side arrangement. So uh, he got Bert to give him the go-ahead on doing the licensing, and uh, so he licensed the uh, the Long Easy design, uh, basically split it down the middle, extended it, um, and made it wider. So two people could, could be in the front seat, and his first uh, iteration was the Cozy 3, which had two in the front, one in the back, and then later on he extended that to be the Cozy 4, which has two in the front, two in the back. So uh, it's a... Pretty cool looking aircraft i don't know if you've ever seen them but if uh you know just google rutan and you will find all kinds of crazy airplanes uh because that guy designs just crazy airplanes
1: so we have we have the very easy which is a super lightweight like 500 pound uh small engine canard fiberglass airplane yep. the long easy which is the uh kind of big sister to the very easy yep uh rutan design and then the cozy which is an even bigger version of a long easy Right. And then that's Cozy 3. And then Cozy 4 is an even bigger version of the Cozy 3 with an extra seat in the back. Correct. And then I know that there's also the uh, Velocity, which I think is totally different. Is that
2: correct? It is a different design. Uh, it uh, obviously shares some uh, characteristics with uh, with those other ones. But uh, it is a, uh, I, I wouldn't say it's a clean sheet design, but it definitely is a different aircraft altogether.
1: So it had no lineage back from the Rattan, Nat Puffer days?
2: Nope. Nope. Um, as far as I you know, Scott Squing, uh, who who uh, de- uh, designed the Velocity, um, basically just did it on his own.
1: Okay. So then, so then the Cozy started flying in about what year?
2: Ooh, I think the first ones were um, in the late 70s, maybe early 80s.
1: Let me see. So that was way back. Yep. Yep. I, I was expecting like early 90s.
0: Yeah.
2: No. No. They've been around for. For uh, quite a bit longer than that, Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, I mean, I started building mine in um, 2000-ish. So, and um, and my plans number is 1171. So already at that point there were, you know, a thousand plans sold. Yeah. So they yeah. So it's been around for a while.
0: And do you know how many backs have been built?
2: Um. Well, like many plans-built aircraft, uh, the number of plans sold is not indicative of the number of uh, planes that are out there. Um, but um, I would say
1: at least a couple of hundred.
0: Gotcha.
1: Yeah, there's a, probably 10 times as many plans for every one flying airplane, I'm guessing. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. For, those, for those that are not familiar with the experimental uh, amateur-built or home-built market, there's basically two ways to build a home-built. There's the plans-built and kit-built airplanes. So by law, if you, you can buy a kit, which is certified 51%, which means that the kit is 49% complete. And then you can buy it from say Vans aircraft or whatever, and it shows up with all the holes pre-drilled and everything. And you basically just rivet it together and paint it and install the systems. Exactly. That's the kit built. The plans built is you basically buy a big binder of paper and start from scratch with absolutely nothing. Uh, Usually some of the harder to build components, like say the landing gear bow on these composite airplanes are are bought already, but it's uh, essentially starting from scratch. And so that's that's the way that these cozies are built. Yep.
2: And I wish I had done this at the start. I didn't do this, but uh, I got most of the, uh, the foam and fiberglass and all the epoxy and stuff that you need to build most of the plane at one time at the beginning. So I wish I would have taken a picture of that. So, I had this for, for many years. I had this big stack of foam in my basement, you know, which eventually turned into wings and airfoils and all kinds of stuff. But unfortunately, <laughs> I, I don't have a picture of that. Did but it so... lower your heating costs? <laughs> <laughs> Should have done. It's a lot of foam. And did you
1: buy all of your epoxy at the same time?
2: No, I, I get my epoxy like kind of as I needed it. Um, so, and you get it in, you know, five gallon jugs or whatever. So.
1: So backing up for a second here, how did you decide on the cozy? Like, what were your thoughts back when in like 2000? Because I was only like 10 years old back then. <laughs> so how did you, so you're flying around here locally, you're having fun. You decided well, you no, want a actually, kit plane? No, actually, the, the decision was
2: I wanted to build a plane first. And then before I started to build, I figured, well, I should probably get my pilot's license first. Just <laughs> to figure out if I actually like this. Uh-huh. Um, I actually came across a picture of the original, one of the original Rutan Aircraft called the very vegan, which is going way way back.
1: It's like a wood version of a long easy and low wing
2: Yeah, it's 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 a uh, and I, I saw this in a Oh a funky kind of alternative catalog, and I thought man This is really cool, and you know the thing was you could build it yourself So I've kind of always been one of those guys who like to likes to you know DIY right so I've done all kinds of projects uh, electronics uh, home reno whatever but I saw this thing in a, in a, in a catalog, and I was probably about, at the time, maybe in my early 20s. And, um, you know, I just never had the wherewithal to do it. So fast forward about 20 years, you know, um, my kids are starting to get a bit older. I got some, you know, more free time. And I figured, you know what, i, I go back to that aircraft project that I was thinking about way back when. And, uh, but before I actually launched into it, I figured, well, you know, I should probably get my pilot's license first. So... Got my pilot's license first.
1: And do you yeah. recommend that for somebody that's kind of in that early stage of this journey? Because your journey is very similar to most other home builders, I think. I,
2: I would say so, because, you know, uh, it would be a shame if you spent, uh, you know, 10 or 20 years, in my case, building something. And then at the end of it, uh, you know, you discover you don't actually like flying that much, which can happen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing that people do is they build an aircraft, which is uh, too hard for them to fly. So you get a lot of people—not a lot—some people who built very high-performance aircraft, hot rods, yeah—and then and discover that you know their piloting skills aren't really up to the challenge of you know uh, managing it. So, but the uh, so I I had this I had this notion of, of building aircraft when it actually came time to do it, I sort of looked at the stuff that was available, and um, even though I was really enamored of the of the of the rattan um long easy i thought uh again it would be nice to fly with my wife and nice to have beside me so i wanted a side-by-side version and i have two kids so i figured well you know again we'll do a four place and then we can take the whole family right now as it turned out the building process took too long (laughs) (laughs) my kids are all grown up now (laughs) so while technically they could fit in the cozy uh it's 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 uh, aptly named because the rear seats are pretty cozy for adults, right? That would work for kids, but yeah. overlapping but, shoulders. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah.
0: yeah. How's the weight and balance on that too, with with four adults?
2: Well, I think with four adults, you gotta be you, you gotta be watching your fuel, uh, you know, and watching your weight and balance. So it can be done, but you know, you have to on half
1: tanks. Yeah, on half tanks. Right.
2: Yeah. So, uh, anyway, so uh, getting back to the original choice. So I looked at some of the kits that were out there, and, and one of the ones I almost ac- decided to plunk down for uh, was the Glass Star Sportsman, which is a totally different plane. It's a high-wing, um, you know, conventional uh, plane. It is uh, composite somewhat, but I think it's got a composite shell over a metal frame. Yeah. And then I think the wings are metal as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I was kind of, it had great performance specs, you know. Um good short field performance was pretty fast. Uh, you could put it on floats if you wanted to. So very versatile. Um, and I was just kind of, I thought, yeah, that would be a good one to go for. Um, and then, uh, started Han- Hamilton, the, the company that made it, uh, went belly up just before I was ready to plunk down for a kit. So I kind of reevaluated and thought, well, okay, my second choice because at the time there weren't that many, uh, four place, uh, home builds available. Um, you know, there was uh, and and for a kit plane, uh, really there was only the uh, I think the Air was the only one that had a four-place version, um, but there was the Cozy out there. And uh, the advantage of a plans-built aircraft, of course, is that you don't have to put down a whole lot of money for the kit, and then have that you know have that capital investment just kind of sitting around in your garage for ten or. Twenty years, whatever.
1: Yeah, hundred grand in storage.
2: Yeah, exactly. So uh, the big advantage with the plans built is you you plunk down your five hundred bucks, or whatever, for the plans. Um, you know, you get your first. You can you can get materials as you need them. Um, I got most of mine at once because uh, because especially with the foam, it's the shipping that kills you. Yeah. So um, so I decided to get oh we we'll got most of the foam I need for my project kind of off the bat. And fortunately, I was going in with another guy who was also starting at cozy at the time. So we had a big old truckload of foam coming up. Um, and uh, yeah, I just sat in, my, sat in my garage for years and I just
1: pulled out a sheet as I needed it and you know, carried on. So did you wire cut it or did you see and see the foam? I know there's the old school way is building your templates, nailing them to each side of the foam, uh, running current through a stainless steel piano wire. High tension, at least. Yep. And then basically running the wire like a hot knife through butter through this foam and cutting out your templates and then laying fiberglass over top. Yep. Is that the way you did it, or did you CNC them? Because I know that's an option now. It is an option now. It wasn't when I was doing it. Um,
2: And you know, if I was doing it now, I probably would have. uh, You know, because CNC, you know, cutters are actually wire cutters are actually kind of easy to build. Yeah. I might actually have done that. Of course, this is the sort of thing that really uh, derails your. Or extends it the time of your project is you get involved in all these little side projects, you know, um, and that you know you do that thing before you can do the other thing, and it ends up taking uh, much longer than you know than you anticipated. Yeah. But uh, no, so I did actually wire wire cut my own um, my own airfoils, and that was uh, that was a blast, you know, um, you know you, you have this big old sheet of foam kind of uh, glued together.
1: Like what about five feet long? Yeah, yeah.
2: And uh, you glued together you, you, with
1: what? You, yeah, um, you glue it together with... Because um, um, you what, wouldn't use epoxy micro, would you? No,
2: in my case, I think I just used like a like a spray adhesive uh, to temporarily put them together, cut the airfo- airfoils and then micro them together later. Well, it was a lot of fun, did that with my wife, and because uh, it's a two-person job, right? You got... Um, uh, it, it's, and it's kind of interesting if you've never seen it done, uh, you've got basically a big square block of foam that you need to cut this airfoil shape out of, right? So you put the, the templates for each, um, each side of the airfoil, and they, they're not necessarily the same because the airfoil changes shape as it goes along the length, right? Um, so you put your templates into the foam on either end, and the templates have numbers along the edge of them, right? So, so each template has a, has a matching number. Like every inch along the edge of the template. Not even that far, like more like a, like a quarter inch. Yeah. Right. So uh, you come into the foam uh, with the hot wire cutter and you rest it on the template. And then you basically say to the other person, okay, I'm going from one to two. And then at two, I'm going from two to three. Right. And the other person on the other end has to match your speed so that way you're you're cutting a, a straight line all the way through the foam and around the template.
1: Right. Otherwise your your hot wire gets kind of twisted, right? Yeah. And yeah. then you end up with like a big conical shape airfoil which doesn't work. Right. So, that was a lot of fun. And uh, you know, cut all the foam, you know, it took maybe a couple of days to get all the airfoil shapes together. So, foam hot wire cutting is the same way that you build very easies, long easies, and many other composite airplanes. Uh, uh yes. Yes, and
2: it's essentially um, I think I think where Rattan got the original idea from it was um, from surfboards uh, or gliders. Uh, gliders are made the same way, right? right? Uh, but the construction is very similar. You you make a shape out of uh, out of styrofoam. Actually, is what it is, um, and um, then you, uh, you, th- so you you glue it together. So use like
1: an epoxy glue, probably.
2: Uh, well, for that use a yeah use a combination of. Um, I, suppose, I probably should back up and talk about the methods that you use for composite construction sure okay so composite airframe or composite anything really uh, is just fiberglass over some kind of form right so in in the case of an airplane you've got airfoil which is your form um, and then you uh, you prepare the, uh, the, the, the the foam surface um, and then you gla- uh, glass fiberglass over the top of it. In and in a specific orientation and number of layers. According. So you lay down these sheets that are pre-cut, of um, different weaves. Yeah, yeah. They're, I mean, they're not really pre-cut in a sense, uh, especially for a big long shape like an airfoil. It's just like pulling it off the roll, right? Right. Um, and the designer has specified uh, the layup schedule, which is like how many how many layers of what type of fiberglass and a, what orientation uh, to get the maximum strength. Right. So that's the um, sort of the the shell. Of the wing. Uh, The internal structure of the wing is a little different. Uh, You make what's called a, um, it's kind of hard to describe on the radio, but you kind of make a a trough in the airfoil, which goes the length of, goes the length of the wing. Right. Um, Kind of tit root to tit. Yeah. About the halfway point. Um, Yeah. About the halfway point. Yep. Um, So you make this trough and in that trough and you make one on either side, the top and the bottom. Um, and then you essentially cut the nose off. So where the, where the one side of the trough is closest to the nose, you cut that whole end off, you glass over that bit. So now you've got a kind of a hard shelf instead of a foam shelf, right? Which wraps around, uh, all the way around the, you know, the trough, that bit of the nose you cut off and the trough on the bottom. So you're
1: forming like a C channel. Exactly. So you kind of at the midpoint of the airfoil. Yep. Yeah.
2: Yep. Yeah. And that that serves as the substrate for what's called spar cap, and the spar cap is um, a big thick layer of a unidirectional fiberglass strands, um, and uh, you lay those from uh, from side to side all the way along. Yeah, root to tip in that channel. In that channel, and you build up this channel so that it's uh, and it's at its thickest point, it's probably uh, like a quarter inch for the for the main wing. Right, and then it tapers
1: off. And those spar caps then take the load, the lifting load of the wing. Correct. And then bring it back to the fuselage. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you make
2: the uh, so you put this internal structure in the wing, and then once the spar cap is, is all done, uh, you glue the nose back on again. At that point, you're ready to glass over the entire wing. Right. So you do that, uh, and that forms your uh, that forms your wing. You do the same thing with the main spar, which is a, a similar process, a different foam. Not like a box beam, right? Yeah, that gets glued into the fuselage. Yep, yep. So it's a box beam which is glued in the fuselage and has uh, hard points where the wings attach, three on each side, um, and that forms your main wing. And it's very, very strong. Um, I think the I think the box spar on the cozy is rated at about 9Gs, nine Gs, nine ten Gs. So uh, you know you're going to black out before you before the spar fails.
1: Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So then you build your wings, and then you go in the fuselage. Is that right? Is that the order that you do again? No, uh, you start off with uh, you start off small. Actually, you start off with
2: well, the first thing you do is you there's a there's a chapter in the plans called the confidence chapter, and so what you do is you make a couple of little fiberglass pieces, um, and that is really meant to convince you of the strength of this method of building. So I uh, remember the one of the you, you build like a a set of bookends or something just to give you some. Um, yeah, some experience, experience in the basics of how you do, how you wrap fiberglass, how you make a hard corner, how you do different things, uh, use of different types of fiberglass. And there are, there are two that, are in, that you mainly use. Well, I'll get back to that in a second. But the main thing about the confidence chapter is you make a little piece, which is nothing more than uh, a couple of sheets of fiberglass, a piece of foam on top of that. So like a rectangular piece with a rectangular piece of foam on top. And then that rectangular piece is also glassed over. With a couple of layers right and you can put that piece like over top of a broomstick and stand on either end of it and it, and it flexes but it doesn't break so the idea is that, well you know this is a pretty strong if you had a piece of metal like this then it would bend it would bend and, be, and deform uh, with a piece of, of with this particular structure um you know it has a tremendous amount of strength anyway so that's kind of your introduction to the whole process um, and then uh, then the next bit is you start building your bulkheads, which are nice and flat, right? Um, so you... Right, and the
1: bulkheads are kind of the rings that shape the fuselage. Exactly. But the skin then of the fuselage glues to. Yeah. So
2: unlike, uh, unlike say the bulkheads of a, of a metal aircraft, which are essentially, um, like ring shaped.
1: Yeah. Right? And uh, they're like stamped or pressed or whatever. Yeah. And then the, the skin gets riveted to the bulkheads. Yeah. Um, so the bulkheads in a composite. Compensator-
2: Aircraft are mostly um, uh, mostly solid all the way through, uh, and they're made from not a, a, the same kind of foam is used for the wings, but it's a different uh, type of foam which has uh, higher uh, compression. Um, uh, it's a higher density foam. I higher guess. density foam, right? Exactly. So, and there and there's probably. Ooh, Probably uh, three or four or five different densities of foam used for all the different ones. And some bulkheads are made of one and some bulkheads are made of another. So, and it all relates to how much loads and what type of loads those bulkheads are going to be carrying. So, for instance, the landing gear bulkheads are quite uh, made of a very, very dense foam. Um, and uh, some, like some other uh, less important interior bulkheads are made from a slightly less dense foam, different type of foam. So you make your bulkheads, and uh, those are that's easy to do because you just lay them out flat, glass one side, glass the other side. Lay them up on a table kind of thing. Yeah, you're done, right? Um, once you have your bulkheads done, then you start working on the fuselage, which is made from a similar type of foam as the, as the bulkheads are. Um, bigger sheets. You shape it. Uh, and you're starting now to work with, you know, bigger layups. So you've done some small ones. Now you're doing some big ones. So now you're becoming accustomed to doing, you know, multi-hour layups.
1: Right.
2: Yeah. Um, so you do the sides and then you um, glue the sides to the bulkheads, hopefully square. Uh, then you put the bottom on. Um, then you kind of now it's very squarish, so you kinda round it off a little bit. Yeah, kind of boatish at that point. Yep, yeah,
1: yeah, looking looks very, very boatish
2: and it looks like a looks like a very leaky canoe for many, many years.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, but you kinda get to that point where it's look, now looking like a like a like a canoe. Uh, now you've glassed the let's see you've glassed the right the inside of the fuselage is glass first that is then glued to the bulkheads uh, the you do the the inside bottom bit then that gets glued also to the to the this form that now has the sides and now has a bottom
1: and the whole process for assembling the fuselage is gluing foam on carving it to shape and then laying fiberglass over top is that correct yep that's yep. right um, so, and as you're going through this
2: process, you're, you know, getting more and more, uh, adept with, with just working with the fiberglass. And at this point, it's a good, uh, it's a good checkpoint because, you know, some people just abhor working with fiberglass, like all the guys who make metal airplanes, hate, hate, hate working with fiberglass for whatever reason. So if you find that this is not your type of construction, you know, it's a good time to, you know, say, well, you know what, this is maybe not for me. And sell your project. And uh, for anyone who is listening who who wants a to get started on one of these things, I would advise um, that a better place to start than at the exact start with the plans, like I did, uh, is to just go out and find a, a half-built project. Because at this point, um, the e- even if the construction quality isn't great, it doesn't really matter that much. You know, there's nothing totally uh, critical critical at this point. That, right. that could make or break the airplane kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, and there's a lot of projects out there that uh, people will sell for like pennies on the dollar uh, that are at that stage, right? They get to a certain point and say, nah, yeah, don't want to finish it.
1: The, that, that might be a good time to, to bring up kind of my experience with composite projects is with the home-built market, especially early on uh, projects. I find the build quality can vary greatly from very unsafe to very good. Uh, And and it's very hard to inspect composite airplanes once they're painted. Yeah. So um, I guess that's a good warning for anybody listening, interested in buying a composite airplane, especially an amateur built home built airplane is once it's together, there's certain critical pieces like that spar cap that he talked about that you can't really inspect well or properly. So it's very hard to know if these airplanes are built structurally safe or not. Yeah.
2: And particularly in Canada, because uh, because of the uh, requirements, uh, the legislative requirements we have for inspections, um, it's important to get them inspected at certain points along the way. And if your project is too far along, let's say, for instance, you picked up a project from the states. Um, if that project is too far along, then uh, the the people who inspect these things for Transport Canada. Uh, won't be able to validate that it was done correctly and they won't be able to sign off on your project So you you know just wasted your money Right. so I have actually in my hangar a good example of this. It's actually a completed cozy three um, which actually flew and uh, For whatever reason the guy who built it in the States um, Decided to sell it after a very short amount of time uh, it was bought by a friend of mine and trucked up here Um, and there is absolutely no way to register this plane in Canada, right? Um, Because, first of all, a home-built has to have 100 hours on it. This one only has 10. So I'm not sure what my buddy was thinking uh, when he bought this, but, uh, I mean, so it's basically just an ornament in the hangar at the moment um, because it cannot be registered in Canada and can't be turned into a project, can't be
1: inspected to uh, have it. Uh, flown in canada so yeah so at the stage that you're talking about where the fuselage looks like a boat and the spars are still open for inspection that is probably the last stage that you can buy a project from say another country and get it here and get that pre-closeout inspection completed to make it a legal project in canada so that's a big warning for anybody out there looking for half completed projects it saves you a lot of time yeah but beware, there's a lot of of uh, nuances and and uh, uh, tricky bits to get right, to get it done properly, or else you could end up with a, another ornament.
0: Yeah,
2: exactly.
1: the uh, The requirements for inspection for composites
2: in Canada, anyways, are that uh, they want to see it. They want to see the shear webs. So we talked about the shear webs earlier. So that's the that's the structural
1: bit in the wing. That the spar caps attached to right that connects the two spar caps together to form your really strong beam right to take the lift loads. So there are uh, so the, in the
2: in the cozy because it has the two lifting surfaces. You got um, you got a shear web on on each wing, a shear web on the canard, uh, and a shear web on the uh, box spar. So you need to be able to present those to uh, the inspecting body, which is called the MDRa um before you actually have the spark apps done so that's a pretty early stage right of of construction but the the idea would be ideal would be to have all those kind of ready at one time so they just can come and do that um do it once rather than having to come back for each for each uh separate bit anyway so um so yeah you have you have your fuselage done or you know it's looking like a leak canoe at this point um uh, the wings don't actually come until much, much later. So, uh, I'm thinking there's like 24 chapters in the plans. The wings are chapter 19. And so uh, you're doing a bunch of other stuff before that, right? You're making, uh, uh, you're uh, building up your landing gear. Um, you're doing the canard.
1: Yeah. Uh, Engine mount points. Yeah. All kind of seats. All kind of
2: bulkheads. Yeah. All that kind of jazz all happens uh, before you kind of get onto the big wing chapter. Right. And then you get onto
1: the wings and yeah, hot wiring, like we talked about using up your foam, Yep, reducing the insulation value of your garage, (laughs) (laughs) right? And then you start gluing it all together, right? Including putting all the, uh, the winglets on. Yep. Um, and it's, it's
2: pretty funky when you consider that this whole thing really, uh, is pretty much just all glued together, right? There are some hard fasteners. So yeah, the wings fasten to the, to the spar with, you know, bolts, um, and the canard fastens to the uh, front of the uh, fuselage with uh, actually just a couple of bolts, two two quarter-inch bolts. I'll hold that baby on there. Um, but, you know, everything else, like all the fuselage structure, all the internal wing structures, um, you know, the canard, the winglets, all that kind of jazz, um, that's just all glued together with uh, just
1: high-strength epoxy. So then now you've got your basic structure all glued together. It looks kind of like an airplane. It's all bare fiberglass. What do you do at that point? Well, now comes the fun bit.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the, the biggest uh, challenge on, on uh, and why I think a lot of people don't complete these airplanes um, is because uh, there's a lot of effort to get from that fiberglass, raw fiberglass stage uh, to the finished surface. Uh, and uh, I don't know if you've ever seen one of these planes or you've ever seen any sort of composite plane you know, what you're looking for is that total uh, that total glossy glass finish.
1: Perfectly smooth, Perf- high
2: quality. Perfectly smooth, you know, with no divots or no uh, no you know, external uh, bumps or anything. So getting from your and, – and these planes always look like crap before you finish them. You know, um, uh, it's uh, kind of discouraging. You'll go to your garage or your go to your hangar, or whatever, and you'll see your plane sitting there, and it just looks like absolute garbage. Uh, before you actually get it finished and painted unlike an air you know, like a metal aircraft where once you've got the sort of metal thing done well you can kind of look at it and say yep that's ready to go almost i just need to paint it
1: yeah it's shiny already yeah where yeah. fiberglass plane is total
2: opposite it's not shiny at all yeah yeah and you know it has got you've got little bits of uh you know drips of epoxy everywhere and oh it's just it looks horrible <laughs> but uh the 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 nice thing is that when you do get it finished you have that total glass finish uh and it's a very it results in some very very slippery very fast airplanes so um you know you can definitely go uh a lot uh faster on the same amount of horsepower than you can with a very draggy uh metal airplane with all of its uh and you know that kind of stuff
1: yeah so you essentially have a hot rod no yeah fast sleek they cool go pretty good, airplane.
2: and they look efficient, very efficient, and look very cool. Um, the original sort of the the progenitor for all these aircraft, um, you know, the Long Easy, uh, was actually originally built for an 0-235 engine, which is how many horsepower is that? One hundred eighteen. Like, yeah, one hundred so,
1: to one hundred eighteen, depending on your pistons. Yeah, <laughs> and that
2: and on <laughs> and on that engine, you could you could easily go one hundred and sixty knots.
1: Yeah, which is ridiculous because that same engine is an SS-152 that cruises at about 95. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> which is a really good comparison, metal versus composite. Yeah. So that really shows the difference between a certified metal airplane and what you can do home-built composite.
2: Yeah, exactly. And that's one of the reasons why why this appeals to a lot of people. Because, you know, if you go out and buy the same kind of aircraft that has the capability of my Cozy 4, for instance, right? So a four-place aircraft uh, that can cruise at uh, 170 knots... Uh, it has a range of, uh, you know, 1,500 miles, um, you know, uh, total glass cockpit, um, all this kind of stuff. Be, if you were to try and go out and buy an equivalent aircraft, you're probably looking at something like a Cirrus SR-22, right? And I don't know much they go for, but I can tell you it's a lot less than, or a lot more than, than I've got invested in my cozy project.
1: Probably $350, i would guess. If, Yeah. And like a long easy, you could buy for what, about fifty thousand or so? Less, got?
2: less. Yeah, yeah, you can get thirty to fifty, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Depending on if quality. you spend fifty bucks, a uh, long easy, you're getting a really, really nice one, right? Uh, a standard, you know, garden variety uh, long easy with uh, maybe with uh, you know standard implementation. Um, probably is probably thirty thousand, maybe.
1: So then, what's the cost to buy a completed one versus what it would cost you to build one? Do you ever get your money back? No. <laughs> what fraction do you think you'd
2: lose? Well, you know, in terms of the, um, in terms of the, uh, I suppose the raw materials, just uh, you know, so just the materials. Um, the the biggest investment is going to be in your engine and your avionics, right? Right. The actual, you know, composite materials uh, are going to cost you something like in the neighborhood, probably these days, probably about twenty five grand, I would say. Um, for the basic airframe. Just for the basic airframe, yeah. And then, of course, depending on what you decide to put in for instruments and for what you decide to use for an engine, then you know that's gonna that's gonna bump it. Yeah, you could put
1: probably fifty thousand dollars worth of avionics in it if you want it. If you wanted to, yeah, it'd make it kind of heavy. and yeah. you, you but, have a lot of capability, but
2: yeah, and you know you can buy a completed you can buy a completed Cozy Four. Uh, I think I think really good examples uh, of them. Uh, you can certainly buy for. Anywhere in the, I'm going to say, 50 to 50
1: to 80,000 US, right? Um, and- uh, Are they safe though? Are they good quality, safe to fly, look nice on the outside, or do they need work? I think most
2: of them are, you know, even, here's, here's the nice thing about composite construction. Um, they are so over-engineered that you really have to be a really crappy builder to come up with an unsafe airframe. Uh, none of these aircraft has ever failed structurally. Uh, that was built to plans, so uh, you, and so you got to figure that the designer uh, factored in a certain amount of uh, engineering safety mm-hmm. that is way in excess of what you would need.
1: Right to to factor in the build quality variations, yeah, like we talked about. Yeah,
2: so you know this is why you have a this is why you have a
1: nine ten g spar and not a you know not a five g spar, for instance, right? Um, yeah, because some spars would be built at high quality will make nine g. Other ones, built at a lower quality with more air bubbles in the layup, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, contaminants in the epoxy, would probably fail at 6G. Yeah. But
2: 6G is still way more than you need.
1: Yeah, that's still, you pass out at 6G. Yeah.
2: So, uh, so like I said, uh, none of these aircraft has ever failed uh, structurally that was built according to plans. So have there any, many failed that don't, that have not been built according to plans? A few, a few. Um, there have been a couple of cases where, for instance, uh, because the wrong uh, the builder used or didn't follow plans when attaching the winglets, um, you know the winglet uh, folded inwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that kind of thing has happened. As far as I know, there have been no um, there have been no incidents related to things like a spars failing or anything uh, anything like that. You know, mostly it's mostly I think it's the winglets that uh, that the 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 wing the wing to winglet joint is mm i would say tricky yeah it's it's um maybe the weakest part of the structure so uh i mean it's it's plenty strong enough for what it's doing but uh it's it's easy to um
1: it'll fail if you build it wrong it will yeah right that makes sense though yeah so and clearly yours is done right (laughs) (laughs) oh god i hope so (laughs) so anyway so you you kind of get this thing together you're in it for um way more than what you can buy one for yeah you 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 pick your motor and avionics and get them installed which is probably the most expensive purchases Mm -hmm. Uh, and then you're into the finishing section is that right yeah finishing part of the plans yeah and that's all the sanding bodywork, like we talked about.
2: Yeah, although some people wait uh, and do the finishing on the airframe before they actually do any of the avionics or uh, engine install. Um, and if I, you know, if I was doing this again, I might have done the same. Um, I got my engine at a, at a time when my uh, airframe was still not very complete, but I had a, I got a really good deal on it, so uh, I figured it was time, you know. But I still could have waited to mount it. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some respects, it might have been easier. The finishing process might have been easier if I did that, but um, yeah, yeah, you kind of you kind of just feel your way along these things.
1: Yeah, um, that makes sense.
2: Yeah, so the, the finishing process does take a while, that's for sure, um, because and it can it can take a lesser or a greater amount of time depending on how uh, how uh, obsessive compulsive you are about the actual finish. Um, If you look at some of uh, like Rattan's famous aircraft, like the Voyager, for instance, and you actually, you know, look and take a look at the finish, looks like crap, looks like total crap. But, you know, um, it did what it was meant to do. And uh, he didn't obsess over over the finish quality. But, you know, for I think for most of us, um, you're going to want to build something that looks pretty nice on the flight line. And so you're going to. That you're to, proud of. Yeah, that you want to try and get something that looks as good as you can make it, you know. So I spent a lot of time, uh, uh, you know, trying to get that totally flat surface. And uh, in the case of, uh, or in my case, I mean, the, the way I, I got to it, a lot of people talk about the fill and sand, fill and sand process, but by which they mean, okay, so you make up this uh, kind of a, hmm, guess a, a, a putty, I suppose you'd call it, uh, which is a mixture of. of uh, what's called micro, which is glass micro balloons. It's very, very fine glass bubbles. It's kind of like flour. It looks like flour, yeah. And it, and you know, if you if you have it in a container, it'll just run like runs like liquid actually.
1: And it's really lightweight, really easy to get in the air.
2: Yeah, super lightweight. So you mix that up with some with uh, your, your with uh, epoxy uh, to make a kind of a icing quali- icing consistency uh, material, and you slather that over your raw fiberglass surface. You scrape it on. So you, you put that on, and, and what, what some people do is you put it on, then sand most of it back off again. And then, of course, what'll happen is that you have little divots or, or high spots, or whatever. So you put a little bit more on and sand it off. So that, if you do it that way, it can take a, a long time. So I chose, the way I chose to do it was I put a really thick layer on to start, like an eighth of an inch thick. And then you just sand that sucker down. With and, power tools to start with. With power tools to start with, but then eventually you're, it's hand sanding. And it, uh, you know, with long, long sanding blocks. And it's, uh, I mean,
1: it's a lot of sanding. Okay, let's drop some bombs on those people out there that are uh, fantasizing about building a composite airplane now. Number of hours it took you to get from uh, the hot wire stage to the uh, kind of airplane semi-assembled, sitting on the gear, looking like airplane stage. You know what?
2: I haven't kept track of my build hours because uh, I knew if I did, I would get really depressed. When this question came up,
1: what's your what's your guess? <laughs> but I'm guessing realistically, I'm
2: guessing I'm probably into it for around three or four thousand hours at this point.
1: So we're three to four thousand hours, just to get to the stage where it kind of looks like airplane. Yeah. How many hours does it take you to? Oh go no, let from... me back up. Let me back up okay. to, get, to get to the point where you actually have uh, something that
2: looks like an airplane. You know, the wings are done. All the major uh, structural glasswork is done. Um, that is probably closer to. Uh, 2,000 hours. Okay, okay. Yeah. So yeah.
1: still, pretty realistic number here. This isn't some factory uh, kit salesman estimating low. No, This no. is realistic, true numbers from somebody that's done it. Yep. So then, how long does the body work take?
2: Well, uh, I'll just say that when I, I've been working on it very consistently for uh, the last two years. <laughs> and it's now done. So... Uh, How many yeah. hours? So that's gonna be
1: another. Uh, it's gonna be another fifteen hundred hours probably. So you spent one thousand five hundred hours sanding. Yeah, pretty much. Spraying and sanding and filling and sanding. Yep. As you know, Scott, you were you were watching me. I watched this whole <laughs> thing, and every day I got out here, on the weekend, Trevor was out here in his hangar, covered in white dust, like head to toe, absolutely covered in it, uh, working away, sanding away with the music on. Yep. Sometimes he's spraying in the paint booth he built. Sometimes he's uh, sanding micro, but uh, now he's at the point 1,500 hours later, where the paint is on and now it's ready for wet sanding. Uh, yeah, yeah,
2: and I don't think the uh, the wet sanding, which is just basically to make the paint totally perfect and smooth and nice. I mean, you could certainly fly it the way it looks right now, and and it would be fine. And people do. And people do. Uh, but you know, just to get that uh, last little, you know, just uh, last little notch. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, you do a, you, you wet sand it with very, very fine sandpaper mm-hmm. and, um, and get that, get that super nice glassy mirror like finish. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you polish it and make it look
1: mirror
0: shiny. Yeah. Does that yeah. give you any extra speed or efficiency? Nah, probably just, not. It's all just looks.
1: Well, the, what you have to remember is a lot of these airfoils are, are, um, laminar flow airfoils. So they're very, um they're not very tolerant of surface defects, mm-hmm. uh, especially the canards on the Long Easy. I'm, ge- I'm guessing the Cozy is the same. So what that means is even in the rain, for example, the airflow is disturbed enough from the little water droplets to cause a nose down uh, effect in the airplane. Is that the same?
2: Yeah. Well, that was certainly true for the Long Easy. Uh, the Long Easy actually has a different canard than the Cozy does. And the and the later Long Easy's use different canard, which is the same one as the Cozy uses. So... So the original canard on the Long Easy was called the GU canard uh, because it's a GU airfoil, which I guess means something in the NACA list of airfoils. Um, and that one was very sensitive to uh, pitch down moments when you flew through rain or even like if you threw, uh, flew through a cloud of bugs or something, right? So um, to get around that, um, uh, Rattan got a famous airfoil designer by the name of um, John, Ronks. John Ronks, uh to do a new canard spray. Uh, uh, airfoil specifically for, uh, the long easy. And that one is not, uh, is not susceptible to that kind of pitch down moments.
1: Right. So the, the little tiny paint orange peel that we'd see in your airplane today would not really matter. Right. Right.
2: Yeah. And in fact, uh, if, if you had a GU canard, uh, my understanding is that, uh, you could reduce its, uh, pitch sensitivity by actually putting in sanding scratches,
1: uh, f- four aft sanding scratches on the canard. Yeah. That makes sense. Like riblets. Yeah. Like shark skin, kind of. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. So then, all right, so now we're in about, what are we, about 3,000, 4,000 hours or so? Ish. 4, yeah, 4,500, somewhere yeah. in there. Uh, and you're almost ready to fly it. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you deviate from the plans at all in that 4,500 hours?
2: Oh, very good question. Very good question. Um, if you want to build in the minimum amount of time possible, you build it strictly according to plans. And if you do that, then you will finish in much less time than the <laughs> eight, eighteen years has taken me. <laughs> so, so yeah, um, I have deviated from plans in a number of respects. Uh, some of the deviations are fairly common. So, for instance, the original plan system for uh, I don't know if you've ever seen one of these planes, but but they have a, a sort of unique uh, uh, ground posture uh, in the sense that even though they're tricycle gear planes. Uh, when they're parked in the ground, the nose gear is retracted. So the nose gear is retractable, but the main gears are not on most of them.
1: So it's sitting on its nose. Sit, it sits on its nose. With the prop up in the air.
2: Yeah. And the reason for that is uh, strictly a center of gravity thing. When the, when the uh, aircraft is on its nose, uh, the center of gravity moves slightly forward. Um, but when it's up, when the nose gear is extended, then the center of gravity is basically right over the landing gear. And it's very, very susceptible to tipping over backwards. Right, and then you, you then you ding your prop or your winglets. Yeah, it's a bad day. So with no other weight in the aircraft, like if there's no pilot or or passengers in it, and there's no ballast in it, then it does have this this susceptibility for tipping back. When it's parked on the nose, it's very, very stable. And like people have gone through hurricanes and stuff with cosies parked, not even tied down, and they have been fine. Where every other airplane on the on the on the airfield has been trashed. Right. Cause, so they're very stable with, with, the, with the gear retracted, but with the gear extended on the ground, yeah, not so much. Um, where was I going with this? Uh, modifications. Yeah, modifications. Electric nose lift. Yes, thank you. <laughs> um, so the the standard plans um, uh, have a manual nose retract, so it's a, just a geared thing. Like a worm with, gear. With worm gear. You right? crank it from the cockpit, and yep. the nose gear retracts and, and extends. Yeah, and uh, which is fine for the long easy because uh, its weight on the nose wasn't so high, right? Uh, with the cozy, you know, being like what twice the weight, um, uh, trying to get that nose up just by lifting it is really hard and it's hard on the worm gear. So
1: most people put in the
2: electric, uh, electric nose gear, and that makes the process a lot easier.
1: Which is basically an electric motor on a jack screw. Yeah. So you yeah. can sit in the cockpit and just hit the switch and yeah. while you're sitting in it and it raises up and down kind of like a, an elevator. Yeah.
2: It's like, like being in the Batmobile or something, right? Just, yeah. It's very cool. Um, so that's, that's a modification that most people do these days, is to put the electric nose lift in. Um, now for me, I did some other things that are, are a little less common. Uh, so uh, one of the other common modifications is to uh, change the way the canopy is attached. The standard cozy canopy is a side-hinged canopy. So not only does that um, look kind of weird, because it's hard to hide those side hinges with the curvature of the fuselage. So it looks, yeah, it looks kind of bogus. Um, But uh, it's also a sort of a flight hazard if you don't latch the canopy. Uh, Even though the airplane will fly just fine with the canopy unlatched and hanging over the side, uh, of course, uh, any kind of deviation from, um, you know, your standard flight profile when you're taking off causes people to get all panicked. And in fact, you know, some aircraft has been lost because the canopy popped open and they were dealing with it rather than flying the airplane. So as a safety thing, I decided to go with a front hinged canopy. Uh, so it hinges, it's a tip up canopy. So it's hinges at the front. So in the event that you forget to latch it, uh, then the air pressure, the air loads just force it back down again. Now, because the, the, the canopy is actually fairly long, um, if you have a front hinged canopy and, and the whole canopy is there, then it, goes, it extends way up into the air. And so I saw a couple that were done that way and, you know, in any kind of wind or breeze, they just flop back and forth. And, and it's like, um, yeah, I didn't really like it. So I decided to actually engineer my own. So my front, uh, the front portion of my canopy is tipped up. And then it's basically broken at the, um, at the uh, from the front to the back. So the front passengers have the tip up. and the, and, the, and the back section is the standard side opening canopy.
1: So the front door tips, or the canopy, tips up towards the nose. Yep. And the rear door, I guess, for getting in and out of the canopy or whatever you want to call it, tips sideways. Yeah. And then the
2: front comes down over the top or over right. the, the back. So it captures the captures the back side opening uh, canopy. So it can never, uh, you know, pop open uh, unexpectedly. So, I mean, that mod, I mean, there are plans for the front inch canopy. Um, and so changing that to be... Uh, this split canopy design pro- probably took me about a year. <laughs> probably extended my build time by a year, I bet. Yeah. Because, you know, a lot of this stuff, you know, you, you, you don't know how it's going to work out, so you have to... Yeah, because there's no drawings for there's it. There's no drawings for it. You kind of got to feel it out. And uh, this is... Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm not an aeronautical engineer or anything, so it's it, it becomes like, oh, yeah, that looks about right engineering. Guess and
1: check. Yeah. Eyeball engineering. Yep. Yep.
2: But, you know, I have I have tested... You know, I have put loads on the canopy, like uh, I've I've put like a four G negative G load on the canopy, just to make sure that it wouldn't pop up, for instance, and that was fine. Um, You know, I've stood on the canopy, so I know it's pretty sturdy. So, um,
1: yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So you haven't really found any issues with it. It's just a lot of work to do. It's a lot of work to do, yeah. Did you uh, change anything that you wish you didn't? Did I change anything that I wish I didn't? Um, there anything you're really unhappy with? Mm. For those potential cozy builders out there that want to take some notes? <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I, I, no, I don't. I, I think I'm, I'm pretty happy with the way everything has turned out. Um, uh, what I I would say, one of, one of the things that I stumble into now is I'm starting to work in, in and around the aircraft, uh, doing things like, you know, putting in, oh, um, you know, uh, engine stuff, um, you know, tightening out all my hoses and stuff, is that when you're doing this, because again, unlike a kit aircraft where a lot of this stuff is laid out for you, so for instance, your firewall forward package will have, oh yeah, put your, put your uh, uh, fuel pressure sender here or, you know, this kind of thing. Um, in this kind of construction, you're just kind of on your own when you're doing it. And you're winging it. You are winging it. And... um and everyone has their own way of doing it, and and probably no two are alike. So uh, when you're doing that, you really have to be mindful of of, of how are you going to be working on that aircraft in the future. And there's a couple places where uh, you know clearances just aren't there. You know, and you've got to you know you need a you need a individual with a different hand or something to get in there and hold the bolt or something as you're trying to turn it. So. I mean, I, I try to be mindful of that, but I still stumble into it occasionally. Where it's like, oh man, how did I get this in there? You know. But so stuff like that. But for the most part, um, I'm I'm pretty happy. I'm pretty happy with with the way the canopy turned out. I think it looks pretty slick, and I like the like the fact that it's not you know this big thing hanging out there. Um. um I mean, there's certain things like, for instance, oh here, I mean, here's a perfect instance. Um, so, if you ever land with these things uh, and you have um, not extended your nose gear, then and uh, this, is, this is one of these things where you know um, there are those who haven't and there are those who will.
1: Yeah, so, that, so what you're talking about is gear ups. Yeah, gear so up So, retractable gear airplanes, uh, it's very easy to be on approach in a busy airport and forget the gear switch. Yeah. And you you get so committed to the landing that there's no going back. (laughs) You put it on its belly. Yeah. With your airplane, the main gear is fixed, so it'll always roll on the wheels back there, but the nose won't. Correct.
2: So when this happens, um, and it's happened to a lot of people, uh, of course, the nose drops through and then starts sliding on the pavement. Um, Now, the good thing is, is that this typically results in some damage, but it's easily repairable. So you basically
1: scrape up the belly, road rash yeah. to the bottom of the airplane
0: yeah. so, on
2: the
1: nose,
0: just the a, nose only. Yeah,
2: yeah. So there's a uh, the plan system has a rubber bumper there. It's actually made from half a hockey puck. I guess Rutan must have been a hockey fan or something. <laughs> um, but uh, if you drop the nose through on a landing, that hockey puck departs instantaneously, and then you're still grinding on the nose. So I figured, well, you know, the chances that I do this are. I hope I never do it, but if I do, I don't want to have any damage. So. So I had sort of designed a, 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 a bumper that goes around where the nose attaches to the fuselage so that if I ever do land gear up, that that sort of uh, sacrificial ablative thing that I put in there will grind down. What's it made out of? Uh, it's actually made of a couple things. Um, it's made of, um, <clears throat> and, and this is this is why these sort of side deviations take forever, right? So I figured, well, well What's a good thing to make this nose bumper out of i better test a bunch of materials kevlar <laughs> so i tried all i did try kevlar i tried i tried i tried the like hard maple i tried uh various types of woods i tried various types of plastics i tried various types of metals um what'd you do jagged it down the road uh, well, i i well again i came up with this sort of testing rig involving a belt sander <laughs> <laughs> You know and i had this thing where i drop down on the belt sander and and see how long it would take for this thing to grind away one on like 50 grit sandpaper right um but you know how long did that take i don't know a month probably (laughs) and what'd you learn (laughs) well i learned that the very best thing to use was actually uh, uh what's it what's it called umhw plastic It's what cutting boards are made out of yeah yeah it's very it's very um like teflon um, well, it's, I mean oh, it's, no. it's, it's a it's a poly polypropylene I know what you're talking about yeah it's like that white stuff yeah yeah exactly right so you get a thick block of that stuff and it's very very abrasion resistant so um, and plus it's quite slippery so uh, so it abrades slowly and it slips so the idea is that will you know it'll be slowing down it'll be abrading away and then you know that will that will grind away and hopefully my nose will be protected so we'll see. That beats steel? It beats steel, yeah. By weight or by abrasion? Um, well, steel abrades uh, obviously um, less quickly than that. But st- the disadvantage with steel is that it throws off a ton of sparks and flaming bits. Yeah. And uh, one, of, one of the downsides
1: of a composite aircraft is that they're very, very flammable. Well, one of my friends had a gear up at Reno, and uh, the fuel valve on the belly sheared off. And then while he was sliding, it caught the fuel on fire. So same problem, I guess. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So then um, the other the other disadvantage is that uh, that uh, like a steel a steel plate, a steel uh, a braiding plate, or even aluminum one um, would heat up a lot, right? So now the thing you're attaching it to is a composite structure. So even though even if you put hard points and whatnot in there, ultimately it's still epoxy and some sort of uh, structural reinforcement. So if those if your hard points get hot, then they'll soften up,
1: right? right.
2: So even if you've got uh, something that's very uh, very tough, like steel, in this case, or aluminum, let's say,
1: yeah, warming t- up to a thousand degrees, and then you melt your bolts, and then your bolts come out. Yeah, exactly. So then it's, it goes away. It's, that's the nice thing about the plastic
2: is that it uh, that it insulates, and it uh, and the idea is that it it does a braid away, right? Quite quickly.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. to Me, yeah. that's that's interesting to know. So, that's they should make like motorcycle jackets and stuff out of. Put that in like elbow pads and stuff. Yeah, exactly. For road rash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. a good experiment. Yeah. So yeah, then you know, again. Well, I'm actually thinking about putting a tail skid on instead of a tail wheel. That might be a good material. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, you, try it out.
2: The only thing is that you can't. It doesn't glue to anything, so it has to be mechanically attached.
1: Right. You got, yeah. You have to bolt it in, basically. Yeah. And then have multiple to replace. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. so So how fast will your plane go well it's uh
2: the standard engine for this is uh is no 360 uh, 180 horse Mm -hmm. uh i've got an IO 360 200 horse so the naturally (laughs) yeah (laughs) so uh let's see it was a good deal um so the standard cozy i think uh will do 160 knots on the on the 180 horses so i'm hoping to do uh, 170 180 in mine we'll see 170 probably
1: is that wide open yeah, wide open. Is that like uh R V speed estimate where it's over exaggerated bit, or is that like uh, <laughs> true?
2: <laughs> I think that's uh, I think that's I think that's doable. I think that's uh, people do it for sure. Yeah, oh, so it's legit. Yeah, I think
1: it's legit. Man, that'll be fast. Yeah. It'll be fun to see fly too. It's like it's kinda of like a wide, fatter, long easy kinda. Yeah. Yep. Yeah.
2: And you know, they have uh uh these planes, uh they have such a cool uh, such a cool platform, right? So when you look at one going overhead, I mean, it's just like no other plane out there, right? It just looks like a UFO or something, right? So that is, uh, one of the appeals, uh, certainly for this, this type of aircraft is that it just kind of, there's not a lot of them out there. Uh, and, um, I know from experience, um, that if you have one to fly in, it will always gather a crowd.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. But then on the other hand, because it's such a, I guess, loud airplane an exciting airplane. If you get a noise complaint, everybody knows it's you. <laughs> Where with me, with my red and white airplane, I used to be able to blame it on my friend Neil, who also had a red and white there you airplane. you You can't do yeah. that anymore.
2: <laughs> That's true. And there's not a lot of them around. I mean, in the Edmonton area, you know, we have, uh, there's no cozies. Uh, I believe there is one long easy and there's a very easy out there. Right. That's about it for the Edmonton area.
1: Yeah. And I, yeah. I, I've only seen, I think, one at a fly-in one time, a very easy. And it was an older one. Yeah, there's, there's
2: a couple out of cooking link that uh, show up at the fly-ins <clears throat> every now and then. But um, that's where the long easy and the very easier are based at. Um, but,
1: uh, yeah, there's just um, not that many of them out there. So you're in the finishing stages then. When will you prove 170 miles an hour? Spring? Spring, yeah. 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 You're pretty much on track for that, I'm guessing?
2: I think so, yeah. We're, we're aiming for a first engine start in the next couple of weeks here. Um. I, and today, I'm just like tightening up all my fuel hoses, which I thought I had actually tightened. And then I'm going around and tighten them and figured, oh, you know what? A lot of these are just finger tight. <laughs> me. <laughs> have you leak tested your tanks yet? <laughs> I have. I have. Because that's going to be a harder one to fix, too. Yeah, that's, that's a tough one to fix. And you want to do that like r- not, not when it's finished because that involves grinding off all your paint and stuff and going over it. No, I have tested my, uh, tested my, my tanks for leaks. Um, and I know they are leak free. So I'm good that way. What did you seal
1: your tanks with? Just straight epoxy? Straight epoxy, yeah.
2: Although it's a different epoxy than than the epoxy you typically use for the rest of the uh, build. So there's any number of approved epoxies that people use. Um, so there's uh, whatever. There's uh, aero epoxy, I guess. And um, uh, Strangely enough, um, West is not one of the approved epoxies because uh, it, uh, it cures too fast. You need a slower right. curing epoxy. So you know, our Proset is another one. Uh, but the one I use, was it's called MGS, MGS 285. It's uh, out of Germany.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, it's really nice epoxy to work with. A great, It's a great epoxy system because they have both a slow hardener and a fast hardener. And so you can you, mix them. You can mix them together and kind of adjust your cure time.
1: And the slow one's like five hours to cure a pot, and the, the fast one is like, what, 30 minutes?
2: Uh, yeah, or yeah, 30, 30, 45 minutes, something mm-hmm. like that. So... Uh, so with the MJS, it's nice because, you know, if you're, if you're building on a daily basis, like I was, right. I come home from work, do some building. Uh, if you got a proxy that sort of cures the point where you can work with it in 24 hours, that's kind of where I need to be. And so the slow cure wasn't quite there. It needs. Yeah, that's what uh, I find. It's yeah. like a two day cure. Yeah. At least a little bit more. Right. Uh, and the fast cure is, you know, you don't need that much and it's difficult to work with because the pot life is. You got to work fast. <laughs> exactly. So for big layups, it's, it's, a uh, Yeah. It's, uh, you gotta, you gotta work. And
1: it gets hot and can run away. Yeah. Creates
2: a lot of heat when it cures. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it was a good system to use, but, uh, the tanks get sealed with a different type of epoxy called, uh, easy epoxy, uh, which, uh, which is slightly more fuel resistant. I mean, all these epoxies are fuel resistant, um, but easy epoxy is, uh, better. is better. So, so the inside of the tanks were done with that. So, so in the whole build, I only used three different types of epoxies. I used the MGS 285. For the most of the structural stuff and the layups, uh, I use the Easy Poxy 87 for the uh, for the fuel tanks, uh, and then the uh, the West system is used for all the finishing because it sands it applies nicely in a thin in a thin film, and it sands really easily. So, uh, so those are the three I used. Would yeah. you build a cozy again? Yes, yes I would. That be your first pick? Um, you know, uh, it, it is a heavy heavy time investment. Um and uh you know they say that if you ever complete a uh, a home built project uh the people that do complete them generally or very often go on to build another one, and so I'm kind of thinking, well, what could my next project be um but I think i would I would go with something that has a a slightly less time commitment and something you know i've got the I've got the high fast cruising airplane, so I kind of would like to get a low slow uh you know. Kind of uh, uh, <laughs> like ours, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe even something even slower, like uh, like an ultralight, like a challenger two or something like that, yeah, yeah, because you can build those, they say, in uh, like 150 hours. So, so realistically, 500, but there you go, um, but uh, gives you a, a, a slightly different uh, capabilities. I mean, cozy's are nice, um, in terms of the, their speed and utility. Um, but, I mean, they do have, like all aircraft, they have uh, their there uh, design uh, restrictions. So, uh, depending on the mission, right? Yeah,
1: and everything's compromised.
2: Everything's compromised. So, uh, the cozy comp- take, takes uh, that mission of being a, a fast, efficient, cross-country cruising airplane, but sacrifices any sort of uh, short field or rough field capability, right? So, they take a lot of runway to take off and to land. Uh, you can't really operate them off easily, off unimproved surfaces. Um, gravel's a problem because uh, because uh, the nose wheel kicks up rocks and they go into the prop, uh, which is just a compromise with the pusher design. So if you want to do that kind of flying, like the kind you would do in a kit fox, for instance, where you're landing on a road or you know landing in a field somewhere, then the cozy's not for you. Um, but if you want to get from here to, I don't know,
1: Calgary Calgary, and back
2: and, and, back, and you want to go for Calgary, uh, Calgary for lunch or something, then yeah, it is a very capable airplane for that mission. So, right yeah, on the pavement. Yeah. So I would, I would like to have a plane that I could land in a field somewhere. What was your biggest mistake? Uh, I make a lot of mistakes. <laughs> one, one good do-over. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, if you could take a mulligan, what would it be? Uh, let's see. Most of the major stuff went pretty well. Um, what did I have to do over again? I didn't really have to do anything major over again. I did a lot of small parts over again. Um, and I did a lot of things that I, that I didn't need to have done. you know. So some complicated uh, cabin heating systems, for instance, um, you know, probably wasted. Three four months on that, eventually ended up with back to the plan system, you know. Right.
1: Um, back to stock the basics. Yeah, yeah. Um,
2: you know, I had this whole had this whole thing um, figured out for like a like a hot water system that would or, or like a take off off the oil system that would provide cabin heat. Because so I figured, well, you know, I'm in Canada, I probably need good heat. And the guy who who designed these things, you know, lives in a freaking desert, so he's not really concerned too much with heat. But um after a while I figured, you know what? How much how much do I actually fly in the wintertime? Not much. So, it's like, you know what? For those times when I am, I'll just put on some gloves and 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 I coat. Suck it coat. up. <laughs>
1: yeah. And deal with the heat, whatever heat comes out. We'll Yeah, cuz you're it. flying cuz you have to, not cuz you want
2: to <laughs> at that point. <laughs> yeah. So, stuff like that. Stuff, you know, like stuff where I spent a lot of time working on on some cool mod and then discovered later on that well, you know what? Uh, the guy who designed this in the first place actually knew what he was doing, and I probably should have stuck
1: with that. So, Last question. What would you advise somebody new in the home-built aircraft market? What's your advice? What's your learnings? With all your experience, all 4,500 hours of learnings, what's your advice? I would say new?
2: find yourself a local EAA chapter, because you're going to find a group of people there who... And EAA is? Oh, the Experimental Aircraft Association, which has chapters all over the world. Um, and there is certainly one here in Edmonton. Um, and uh, and uh, talk to the people there because you will get a lot of uh, different opinions, a lot a lot of good advice, a lot of bad advice. But uh, you get to see people's projects. Yeah, and you get to get a you know, have a feel for what the entire process is is like. I mean, I had um, I had the benefit of uh, an EA chapter here. Now, now no one was doing composite construction. I was kind of the vanguard on that. But uh, you know, there's a lot of a lot of uh, experienced people there can help you. And um, and uh, good people to bounce ideas off. Of. So I, w- I would say that's probably step one is either find a local chapter or join EA International because there's a wealth of resources on the uh, on uh, the EA website to help you do things like pick a project. Uh, yeah, or, fly- or buy
1: a flying <clears throat> home build. Yeah,
2: buy a flying home build. Uh, it'll connect you up with uh, other people in your area. Um, so I would I would say that's probably step one is do your research, and then um, and then. Take advantage of things like uh, uh, project visits, um, workshops to try different construction techniques. You may find that you love working with metal, and that's that's the thing you want to do, uh, or you may find that you like uh, working with wood. Um, so, do that. Have a have a start uh, talking to people in your local area, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, too many, and uh, as as a, uh, sorry, I. I should probably point out I was the president of the locally A chapter for many years, so so uh, you know full disclosure. But uh, I have, uh, in in that capacity, I have seen where someone was uh, slaving away in his garage for, uh, you know, five or ten years, uh, only to come up with a project that you know couldn't be inspected, so was had to be trashed, or uh, you know, or the where the build quality wasn't there and had to be trashed. So that's I mean that's tragic when that happens. But at the end so of the day, so do your
1: research, plan ahead, yep, make good decisions, talk to other people, get advice before you make your own decisions.
2: Exactly. Yeah. At the end of the day, we just uh, we all want to uh, enjoy our hobby and uh, end up with airplanes that are that are fun and safe to fly. And uh, and if you start off your project with by talking to people, then your chances of coming at, at the far end with a usable project are far enhanced.
1: Right, making good decisions with the information you've got available versus coming at it blind and kind of just shoot from the hip yeah. and hope you get something good. Yeah, yeah, it's a big time investment and financial investment as well. Big time, big financial investment, and
2: I think critical, uh, critical to the success of these projects is to have buy-in from your family. Um, you know, I have my wife was very supportive all the way through the project. Uh, a lot of time spent in the garage. You know, a lot of time. Uh, you know, not there, so they have to be, uh, they have to be invested as well. And you know, she and she has helped me uh, tremendously through various phases of the project. And uh, as you know,
1: she's out here helping me on the weekends uh, in this latter stage. So, um, yeah, yeah, that that seems like a big help. is yeah. having your family on board with the project too, because that's a big time commitment from them too. Yeah. to see you gone that much. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Brian, what do you think?
0: I think. Anything in- else? No, I I don't have any real questions. (laughs) All right, (laughs) let's wrap it up there. Cool. Cool. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming.
1: All right.